Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, so excited to be back with you, back with you live at youtube.com slash cover3. And Reggie in the chat knows what the deal is because he says this uh, the offseason is where Cover 3 shines. That's where so much of our audience jumped on board and you rode with us through an absolutely thrilling college football season. One of my personal favorites uh, since we started working here at CBS Sports. And, uh, and, and before we jump into our big purpose of today, the big conversation, which is going to be taking all four of the playoff teams and, and trying to start the conversation to 2022. What are the big questions that we have for the national champion Georgia Bulldogs, the national runner-up Alabama Crimson Tide, the Michigan Wolverines, and the Cincinnati Bearcats? We will put a spotlight on each of these four teams, uh, just sort of taking stock of where we are at moving forward. But first, since we got DK and Tom back, they were both there in Indianapolis. Uh, I wanted to first just get some thoughts from the scene, thoughts from the site. I mean, do you, do you have any, uh, you know, I was sitting around with so-and-so talking about so-and-so, any insights? I mean, it, we'll take a, a more than a couple minutes here, just sort of thoughts on the game as well. But uh, how were things there um, in Lucas Oil Stadium? Uh, Danny, I, I learned Danny's a legit celebrity. More than anything, that was my biggest takeaway from the week. <laughs> Highlight for me was having a couple cold ones with one Tom Fornelli <laughs> at Goodwood. I had not heard of this. Have you heard of Goodwood, Chip? No. Apparently, it's like a sports bar chain, I guess. And I don't know if it was it in Illinois too. It's definitely in Indiana. I I'd never heard of it. No, like, I guess there are a few of them. We had a couple uh, cold ones there. Um, after a struggle to find service, we did get Tom a couple beers. We had to go two for one at a time. We just said, yeah. give us two because it was packed with Georgia fans. Um, but that was that was the highlight of my trip was getting to hang out with Tom on uh, the Sunday before the game. We had a blast, too. Met up yeah, with some I also- guys from Bleacher Report, Adam Kramer. That was fun catching up with him, fellow Chicagoan uh, with Tom. It was a blast, mm-hmm. man. It was fun. That, to me, you know, the other thing, too, is Tom and I, after – we had drinks. We went to the hotel bar, and there was a bunch of ESPN people, and we saw Golick Jr., and uh, I saw him. It was just like, man, it feels good to be back. Like, on everyone's there for the same event. It's all college football fans and all the people that work in the industry, and you're just like, it felt like forever since you had actually seen people that cover mm-hmm. the business. We've all been distant. We've been virtual, and it just felt great to see people and see fans, but to see people in the industry too, there was a new appreciation for it for sure. Yeah, it was also a nice reminder too because I had left, let's see, I left Chicago on Sunday early afternoon, 
hadn't eaten, drive down to Indianapolis, get there. Now it's about five-ish in Indy. I go to meet Danny, Barrett, Adam, Paige, and uh, David at, at Goodwood. And yeah, like you haven't been out for a while and hanging out with people and you haven't eaten. And then you have like three beers and you're already <laughs> feeling pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> or when you're drinking tequila soda, which is my, that was my beverage of choice. And the service was a little bit of a struggle just because, you know, it's packed. They forget the soda and just bring you straight up shots of tequila. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it goes down a little quicker then. Yeah. Also, Danny was getting every Georgia fan within range drunk, just buying him shots. <laughs> so, all right. So when you say Danny was a real celebrity and Bud Elliott uh, jumping, jumping in here as well, like what, what did you witness for that? That has oh, the, so many people were coming steps. up to our table. So many people were coming up. Go dogs! Go dogs! Oh, big fan, Dad. And then Danny's just buying him drinks. You know, Georgia fans hate him. So he, I, I got to say, hey, based I, on concerned. my based on my observations, Georgia fans do not hate Danny Canella. Well, at all. you got to buy your way into there. You got to buy the way into the good graces. <laughs> By the way, Tom Fornelli is a celebrity too. There was there was a bunch of Cover Three fans that I watch every day. They were mm-hmm. in on it. Love it. Love to hear that uh, that the boys were out with the people, with the listeners, uh, with the the loyal subscribers and followers of the Cover Three podcast. Um, uh, what about the game? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a game. That's right. Yeah, yeah. What about the game? <laughs> uh, they had shrimp in the press box. That was a big deal to everybody wow. at the game. Yeah, that's was- a nine six. That is the highlight. That was definitely everyone was all freaking out about that because the game was. I did think. I thought the game was a little slow. Like the in, the atmosphere was kind of like waiting for some mm-hmm. crescendo. You were waiting for this big moment to drop. And it just kept waiting, kept waiting, kept waiting. And then eventually the fourth quarter clearly, I think, saved the game. And it's not a bash on either team, but the defenses were shining without question. But it's a little bit slow. And I think the fourth quarter saved it, you know, for, clearly. And I do think... My overall impression, like, congrats to Georgia. Unbelievable accomplishment. The fans deserve it. But I equate this performance for Nick Saban to Tiger Woods when he's like, yeah, I had my C game, and he's out there, like, still finishing top five, and the rest of the PGA Tour was pissed at him early in his career. Mm -hmm. This, to me, was Nick Saban's C game, and he still took a team and was very close to winning a national championship, and maybe it was even downgraded to a D game when they lost Jamison Williams, so... I think it might have been one of Nick Saban's better recruiting or coaching jobs in his entire career. And they're not going anywhere, but congrats to Georgia. It was phenomenal. And I think, you know, now the kind of questions turn towards next year, but incredible, you know, performance. I think a lot of our previews for the game leading up were pretty spot on about what the game plan should be for Georgia. And I think it was perfectly appropriate that uh, Keely Ringo had the pick six. The defense stepped up to really seal the game and the defense kept him in it early. They were nervous early yes. in that game. I mean, I, you could feel the tension with a couple delayed games, a bunch of you know stupid penalties. You could just feel the tension, and it was almost like the reverse. I thought it was a perfect first half because they could go into halftime and say, we cannot play worse than that, and we're only down three. Like, we're in a really good position, and clearly they settled into the game and won. Yeah, and you could kind of feel that because it was mostly Georgia fans. Like that was one of my bigger takeaways from being just being around town and then being at the stadium. Georgia fans far outnumbered Alabama fans overall. And there was just that kind of 
anxiety among them too once the game started like i felt like stetson bennett was a reflection of the people watching him in the crowd because he was jittery obviously and i think the fans were there's just kind of a sense and maybe this was just me projecting it onto them but they kept it felt like they were kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop like it always drops and it never really came down until that crazy fumble late stetson bennett where it turned out they were right and live in the press box when they when the referee got on and called it a fumble like Everybody in unison in that press box is like, what? There's no way in hell that was a fumble. And then as you start seeing the replays, you're like, oh, wow, no, they actually got it wrong, but we're right. (laughs) So it was I felt like that was a moment where you could just kind of in the stadium. It was just really quiet, really tense. And then Alabama scores. But then when Georgia responded, I felt like that kind of took a weight off of everybody's shoulders. And they were like, "Okay, no, it's we could do actually do this. This might actually finally be happening. So what point was that? Because Bryce Young oh, was driving the, the down Amy eight. Mitchell TD. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. he had bounced back. We'd already had the fumble. And that was, what, like a 40-yard touchdown or mm-hmm. something? The best. Like, How many awesome plays did Georgia's offense have in this game? There was the long James Cook run. There was the long touchdown pass to Mitchell. Like, And then I would say near the end of the game, the way the offensive line started to get a push, there were like some Zamir White first down runs, five-yard gain, seven-yard gain that – felt like it was very, very important for them to be able to continue to uh, hold this thing, bleed clock, uh, cement themselves as having to leverage as much as possible. But those those splash plays was was all Georgia needed. Other than that, I kind of thought Alabama's defense did a pretty good job in this game. Uh, yeah, and, but also to be blunt, like, I don't know if you guys talked about this on the live show while I was writing, but like, I didn't really like what Alabama did offensively early in that game. Because... Yeah, like we talked we talked in the pregame or our previews about how, you know, I thought Georgia was going to be in a lot of cover one and Georgia was in a lot of cover one and they were leaving the middle of the field wide open and Alabama just kept going side to side, side to side, whether it was tosses to Robinson or RPO throws out to the, you know, the perimeter like they weren't attacking the middle. And I guess part of it was. A, they probably weren't incredibly confident in the offensive line and based on some of what you saw, probably justifiably so but like there were some shots there that if they had taken some slants or just some posts over the middle i feel like alabama had a lot of big plays they could have had that they didn't even bother trying to get and that was one of the more surprising things to me and i think that honestly plays a big role in how that game finishes because georgia was able you know through its offensive struggles early if alabama took some kill shots early georgia might have been dead by the end of the first quarter and they never took them Mm. and of course they did go over the middle and it cost jameson williams's freaking ACL. Mm-hmm. When he went down, I started live betting Georgia. The, I started him at even money just to win outright, and the best I got him at, I was just looking at, was plus 170 for them to win the game. I did, <laughs> and I was with Barrett Salih. We were on the auxiliary press box. I did cash out. I have a cash out option, so I cashed out early, and then I flipped it when Bama was down eight. I took a little bit, not all of it. I took a little bit of it and got Bama to win at plus 800. I'm like, what if we get a Bryce Young heroic moment the way the series had gone? So I gave back some of the winnings on that one. But I still like – I, you never felt totally comfortable for for Georgia. Uh, just And I think it's that kind of rivalry, and it was that kind of hurdle for them to get over. You're like, surely they can't blow this, but they had found ways to blow it before. I was like, maybe Bryce Young does pull out something out of his hat. Clearly he didn't. They stepped up because he just didn't have enough around him. I mean, some of the plays he made, the throw to a guy, Hall, uh, was insane. 
that he was getting pressured and it hit him right in the hands. I mean, a couple of those plays to be made might have changed the outcome of it, but can't take away from Georgia what they did. Phenomenal performance. Yeah. Well, then let's another, go ahead. I was gonna say that's just another takeaway seeing it live and in person for the first time, even though it's from the press box. Bryce Young's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I I actually thought Bama was gonna hit some run stuff early in the first half. And like I like the design of some of it, right? And like honestly, they had Georgia out schemed on some of those. And Georgia just has freaks, man. Oh, you can't I, that's like the, they the, they made great individual plays where it's like I like the design of that run. That's a good looking run that like clearly like like they're they're trying to break tendency and they even got a false step out of it and then it didn't matter. It's like oh wow this guy who's two eighty just chases this thing down for a an eight yard gain and not not a seventy yard gain like that. There was really good you, tackling you, you on the, the helicopter. Yeah, I yes. It's like it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because like when it comes to trying to run the ball against Georgia, you're either trying to run it into the heart of that defensive front, which nobody's really had any ability to do, or you're trying to go side to side and everybody on that defense flies right to the ball. It's really hard to beat them to the edge. And when they're tackling the way that they were tackling on Monday night, it's just it's not going to work. That was just I mean, I. So I guess in that sense, it's like, yeah, I get it. But I just, I hate trying to go side to side against Georgia because you're not faster than they are. Shout out to uh, Slate's Joel Anderson. I, he said this and I, I liked it. He said, you know, the football is good when innocent bystanders are horrified because the hitting and the like, the the tackling, the violence, the like, like it was just the, like the elite of the elite in terms of athleticism, football IQ, like everything was at the very top level and Boy, they were hitting hard in that game. Yeah. It was awesome. And that was another reason why it's nice to be back at a press box because it's like certain things you just can't really pick up on television and the speed on both those defenses. Like I, I tweeted about it. It's like, I don't care what happens the rest of this game. I've just enjoyed the absolute hell out of watching all these guys flying to the ball on every single snap. And the closing speed on some of them, like Tyndall, there was the one play he made where he was like 20 yards away and he got there within like a second and a half to lay the hit. And I was like, good God. <laughs> Impressive stuff. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and turn this into our 2022 questions for the playoff teams. And we will begin with the national champion Georgia Bulldogs, because I think that one of the interesting factors that references that goes back to something y'all said about the fans in Indianapolis, Georgia is so much more overwhelming the Alabama fans. I think that some of that has to do with a sense of urgency that anybody who follows this Georgia program could feel that when you look at um, that some of the players that are going to be draft eligible, when you look at the way that this defense had played through the entire season, there has to have been, while Kirby Smart and this staff have recruited so, so well, this was a moment. This was a peak. This probably is going to be tough to replicate. Obviously, going back-to-back -back in any national championship is going to be something that's difficult to replicate. But, you know, I think that was when we look at Georgia for the 2022 season, there's going to be a lot of personnel questions because so many important pieces of this Bulldogs National Championship team are going to be gone. So it isn't one of the first questions being, like, how, how do the twos look? How does the next round of, uh, of recruits look? And, and maybe, Bud, you can help with this from the, the personnel and roster management side as well. But I kind of feel like in, in terms of the – 10 most important players uh, that were on the field. So I'm going to say take out Jameson Williams and John Mechie. 
Um, you probably are still going to get a lot more of Alabama's players back next season than you are for Georgia, where it will probably be far fewer players that are back for next season uh, based on my expectations. I, I think you're exactly right about that, Chip. Um, you know, I, I have a couple questions that, about Georgia. I've been thinking about this. I, I know I said on the uh, the instant show that, that Bama would be one of the biggest favorites for the title in a while, which by a while I probably should have just said 2019 because that was the year that Tua came back. Out of Bama and Burrow ended up beating them, but preseason that they were, they were a pretty significant favorite uh, to win it all. You know, with, with Georgia, they have recruited extremely well. I mean, like obviously, yes, yes they have. J- Jalen Carter is not draft eligible yet, right? Darnell Washington will be back, but they lose an absolute ton on this defense, and I'm very interested to see how they like to play football next year. Because, for instance. Jordan Let's Davis, Dante Wyatt, like I mean, we Trayvon Walker is a junior. Nolan I mean, like, like Kobe don't Dean. you think Trayvon will test well? Like, like, it would be I'd be surprised if he came back. Um, Nolan Smith is a guy who could test well. I don't know if he's going to go or not, but he's a junior. Quay Walker is a senior. Channing Tendall, um, I think Amir Speed. Did I see him in the portal? R- Ringo can't can't leave yet. No, Ringo's Chris Smith back. is a senior. Lewisine could go. Right, I mean, like, you know, um, Kendrick is a senior on on this team. Pool, I think, is not eligible to, to leave yet, and he had a good game. Um, and Brini is a senior as well. You were losing an absolute ton on that defense, and Stetson Bennett is—he's had good statistical results, but even that long touchdown pass he threw. Was not a particularly good throw. Like the guy, uh, Donnie Mitchell caught that around the defender's helmet, right? What did we have said? Hey, I have some belief that Georgia wants to modernize its offense and play a little more offensive style of football. Next year will be the test. If if you run Stetson Bennett out there with the same offense, even though Georgia has recruited extremely well, what's the record? It's hard to see them running it. That yeah, to me that's a pretty that's the biggest question to me because I think defensively they they lose a ton, but I also think they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just the way that they've recruited. It's like okay, there might be they're not going to be as dominant as they were this year because you're going to have new people in and they got to get comfortable. But I still think that over the course of the season, Georgia defensively is going to be solid. It's going to be you know best team in the East, all that stuff. But to me, it's going to be interesting. Is like, is Stetson Bennett just a made man now? Like, is the job his no matter what? Is that what they're going to be doing going into the next season? Like, the guy did just win a national title. So it's like, is there going to be a genuine quarterback competition in the spring? That's going to be what's interesting for me to follow. Assuming he comes back. Most, assuming he comes back. And I, I have he to assume he's back. going. Where's to he be going? Because that's my, yeah. Or maybe exactly. he wants to get a job. Like, like that, that now, you don't think some, you don't think some Georgia. I don't know, real estate firm or investment firm is, is looking to hire this guy make, make, making a quarter coming out. Yeah, like Graduate assistant. Let's go ahead and get the coaching well, I mean, career he is, started. He is, is set up, he's set up for life now. It's like he's not going to, he doesn't have a billion dollars or anything, but he's going to be fine forever. You know what? You know what's going to be? We'll say the guy loves football though. Yeah. yeah. I think he's coming back. Like you I mean, don't come I, on I, as a walk on and then go Juco if you don't really love football. Mm-hmm. And I think he runs it back too. I think he comes back. But I think it'll be like Kelly Bryant when he was at Clemson. Like, I think he probably has to be handed the job because he did lead a national championship. And then you just kind of wait for that moment 
and say, all right, it'll, it'll just solve itself. Like the problem will resolve itself. The first minute he has a couple interception game, then you make this transition to whatever five stars coming in. Is it Brock Vandegrift? Is there now? I saw him, you know, throwing before and warm ups. He looked pretty good. Uh, maybe there's a transfer, you know, that comes in that's breathing down his neck. Cause I don't know if you could, I, like, if you could just make the like, hey, quarterback competition. All right, week one, we're going with a different direction with Stetson Bennett there. I almost feel like you kind of have to roll him out there week one, but I don't know if he survives because I still think, like, and this is was my criticism against Georgia not winning the national championship. As good as defense as you were, you at some point you're gonna have to match that with a good offense, and that offense was not great. You know, they were good enough. And they, but I don't know if that's good enough again, especially with Bama's bringing back, Ohio State's bringing back. You know, everybody else is going to get better on the offensive side of the ball, and with the losses on defense, I think it's a fascinating like conundrum that they're in. It's it's Stetson Bennett, like that is the biggest question, right? Just the the quarterback and the offense. Are you really going to modernize? And if so, is Stetson Bennett going to be there for it? Um, that's uh, what's what's the prediction? I think he starts I think, I think week Stetson, one. I think yeah. Stetson Bennett's back, and I think they go like 10 and 2. No, I think he starts week one, but I don't think he starts week 12. Ooh. I mean, because that's that's part of the thing. Because we talked about it on this show. Like, we're like, man, Georgia's have got so much talent, but they're never going to be able to break through unless they modernize their offense. And they get, you know, they have to follow the example of what Saban said at Alabama. You know, you need to be getting the five star quarterbacks in there. And then they hire the offensive coordinator. But they never really changed. I mean, it's not like they're running, you know, freaking 1925 football out there, but they're still like a very run heavy kind of complimentary football approach. They've got the former walk on at quarterback and they won a national title doing all the things we said that you can't no longer win a national title doing. So maybe we're wrong. I mean, it's <laughs> like maybe Stetson Bennett will come back and they'll be just fine. Hey, listen, if he if Stetson Bennett comes back, starts another year, and they get to the college football playoff, then one of the biggest things about Stetson Bennett to me will be proven wrong because I think that he was a deserving QB1 in that Georgia room. It's just when you compare him to Mac Jones, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts, Deshaun Watson. Like that is the one thing is not like the other that stands out the most to me. Not that Stetson Bennett was undeserving within his own quarterback room. It's just that when you put him up against the other national championship winning quarterbacks, it it just looks a little bit funny. Mm -hmm. I do really like the Georgia offensive talent coming back though, right? So yeah. Donnie Mitchell, who, who had the nice catch in the game, was a true freshman. Marcus Roseme is a nice possession guy who is now two years off of that devastating uh, ankle injury that he had against Florida. Obviously, Brock Bowers can't go pro yet because he was only a freshman. Darnell Washington was was only a sophomore. Fitzpatrick's a junior, but I don't think he's really like a you know NFL uh, early entry type. Now, Zamir White and James Cook, you lose, but they have Kendall Milton. They still have Kenny McIntosh, and obviously, like if they don't like those guys. It's Georgia, so I'm pretty sure you can go and get a running back if you want to. Kiaris Jackson's a junior. I don't know what his plans are. Lad McConkey, redshirt freshman. Jermaine Burton is a sophomore. Uh, I mean, look, I imagine one or two of those guys will probably transfer because that's a whole lot of names that we announced with a whole lot of stars next to those names, and they have all have expectations when they come on campus. But there's a whole lot of skill talent coming back for this Georgia offense. And you know, Broderick Jones, when they had to kick Jermaine, Mark inside there, uh, lateness in quarter, 
Broderick Jones was fine at left tackle. You know, they have Van Pran for another year. He, he was only a redshirt freshman. The, the uh, their their center. You know, Warren Erickson's a junior. I don't know if he's going to go pro. McClendon's a redshirt sophomore. I imagine he's back, and unless I'm, I'm missing something there, like you have the pieces for a potentially very nice offense at Georgia next year, and like they were already very effective this year in the advanced stats, but there there is a difference between being like the best or second best offense in the country and being, you know, like a top twenty offense. And I think pieces wise, this could be really special if they get the QB, uh, but. You look at some of the the process based metrics, not not the the results based, but the evaluating just how the QB played. And I mean, Bennett was like 90th in depth adjusted accuracy on some of these sites. Like, I'm not saying they're perfect, but like that doesn't really match up to the quality of play at other spots there in the talent level. So I'm going to be interested to see if if a Brock Vandergriff or Gunnar Stockton or I don't think Carson Beck at this point. But and what happens with JT? So all these things need to play out. I really like Georgia's potential, or maybe Bennett can get a whole lot better. Who knows? But doubt it. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's because that's one of those kind of be like chicken or egg things for me. Like you know, Georgia. If you look at the way that they played this year, obviously Brock Bowers was huge for them, and they didn't really have a standout receiver kind of you know big play perimeter option. But Adonai Mitchell can be that, and we've seen in recent weeks with Bennett the ability to go deep outside the numbers, which you didn't see a ton of during the regular season. And although it's not like he's throwing rockets or lasers like you typically see from, you know, the five stars, the passes were getting complete. But it's like if Mitchell takes that next step and keeps going forward and being everything that I think he can be, it's like, will that help Bennett or will Bennett hinder that? So that's going to be the interesting thing to me, I think. So that's, that's really what it's going to boil down to. God, we are so mean just being out here. Congratulations, Georgia. Yeah, I don't know if you're ever gonna be good enough. <laughs> you just no, no, I, I, I wrote too. Like in my game or afterwards. I mean, this is the second time George and Alabama have played in a title game. It's not going to be the last, mm. especially if they expand, because that'll pretty much ensure both of them are in it every year. Well, uh, Bud just mentioned the transfer portal, and you know, trying to think about log jams at certain positions. The Alabama Crimson Tide, so far, based on my quick count, have seven in the transfer portal, maybe could have more, but we will look at that and more around the Crimson Tide next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Alabama Crimson Tide finishing at number two in uh, most of the rankings across the board, uh, including the CBS Sports 130, which was released on Thursday. Bud said on the Instant Reaction Show they will enter as you know heavy favorites to win the national championship once again. That being because you can quickly start rolling off the names of the important players, uh, including Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner, Will Anderson, one of the best defenders in all of college football, and, and a youth movement that while um, I think a little bit disappointing in the in the performance at times as they injuries forced a lot of young players into action all throughout this season, you know, there's going to be 
uh, a lot of talent on this roster. And there's going to be a lot of talent that could be uniquely motivated based on the way that things ended in Indianapolis. Like, I, I wonder if Alabama... Inside that, um, inside that room with its coaching staff, if, if you were to give them all the truth serum, it'd be like, man, we're kind of playing with house money right now. I mean, it's just the fact that we even got here is, is really impressive. I wonder if next year is going to be their year. And I wonder if Nick Saban knew that as he was nicer to them, a lot more nurturing in the way he coached and really standing by Bryce Young and Will Anderson and caping up for him in a big way in the press conference. So as we have our early questions for 2022 for the Crimson Tide, a team that will be favored to win the national championship, what stands out? How much they have the best be. offensive player and the best defensive player coming back. Yeah. And they're upgrading the running back spot. <laughs> like that's like Brian Robinson, nothing against him. Perfectly good running back, probably have an NFL future. But when you just think of like Alabama running backs in recent years, like Brian Robinson is not, quite to the level of what you've seen. So you've got Jameer Gibbs coming in from Georgia Tech. So I feel like this is going to be a more dynamic offense. We saw Cameron Latu kind of get more involved as the tight end as the season went on, overtaking Billingsley, who is now in the transfer portal. Jai Mitchell, I think, will be somebody who, you know, I he's he had some drop problems, obviously, in the title game. Like, he was targeted eight times, only had two catches, but he's still a very talented player. Jamison Williams, I think, is gone, but they'll probably land somebody in the transfer portal that's like a top receiver again so it's i think the skill positions are fine i wonder what the offensive line is going to look like i all right so like real quick on the skill positions i've got a little bit of um you know shell shock from the clemson situation when i just assumed that all of these superstars were going to be able to get out there and be ready to roll and that dj uyunglele you know plus a, a healthy justin ross uh, plus a joe a joe you know plus uh, all these other pieces that it was going to be productive and i do think that as like you know Nick Saban had been talking about Javon Baker. You know, is he going to end up stepping up? Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks did flash at times and got some looks here in the national championship game. You mentioned Ajay Hall. Like, I I am – one of my biggest questions is whether all of the talent in that wide receiver room is ready because they're going to have their number called with the best quarterback in the country, and they need to be able to step up for this offense to be able to hum the way it did with Jamison Williams and John Mechie both healthy. I mean, I I don't have – necessarily guys that I guarantee you will be the dudes, although I, I think Brooks is is clearly a dude. We, we don't know that Mechie's gone, by the way. Mm. Like, he could come back. Uh, he was only, a, I believe, a junior, and w- with the injury there in the SC title game, you know, we, we could see him be back. With with Jai Hall, I, I think there's a reason that he wasn't playing much this year. You know, Ooh, James like, Coley was talking trash on him in the film room. I don't know if Dusty brought reason. back any good film room conversations, but it was like it, when, when Jai Hall drops that ball, he's like, yeah, he can't handle it. He, no. ain't, he, got <laughs> good hands. he ain't tough like that. Yeah. Um, I don't disagree, but like Jojo Earl, I think could be pretty explosive for them. Javon Baker's a guy. I think you could see take a step up on the offensive line. I thought they were having to play, uh, more young guys this year than they were typically used to playing. So while the loss of Evan Neal, I think is pretty significant. Um, there's a chance that guys like, you know, uh, Amari Kite or, you know, maybe, maybe Kendall Randolph or shoot Damian George, maybe, or maybe you kick Latham back out the tackle, I think, which is probably more likely. Uh, I think they're going to be pretty damn good on offense. And you have Bryce and I mean, that Georgia team 22 for 22 
has better players than Alabama does for this year. But Georgia or Bama has Bryce, and that was damn near the difference almost. I think the I think the the formula for Bama, and this is risky when you do it, but if you fade them after they win and you buy them after they lose, you know, probably this like you want to get a team that's more focused. I mean, Will Anderson after Shoot, I think it was the game against Florida. Remember, he came out. He's like, our priorities aren't right. We're, you know, feeling a little too good about ourselves. And, you know, then they end up losing Texas A&M. Then, fortunately, they get back. I mean, I just think there's a hunger that's there. And it's human nature. And you can preach it till you're blue in the mouth and blue in the face. Players don't really respond to it unless they deal with some adversity like they just got. And they're on the sideline watching the other team celebrate. They can kind of be reminded, hey, we're human. So, I, I do – what – do you feel like it's like some of those Clemson teams at times when you're like, uh-oh, if something happens to Trevor Lawrence, if something happens to Bryce Young, I mean, that to me is the only thing that could derail them being back because they seem a little bit light behind Bryce Young, which is mm-hmm. understandable, complaining, you know, he's entrenched there. And if I was a five-star, I would want to go back him up for a couple years. You know, so they might be a little bit light there. Yeah, that's what I was going to – because it's like that's the other thing too. Being It's like you know he's small, but like I said, when you're there in person, it's like you get a better idea how good he is. You also get a better idea of how much smaller he is compared to everybody else. And like if he's if he gets hurt, I just – I don't know what they have behind him. And I think that could be a big problem for Alabama next year. They don't really have – do they have their own Stetson Bennett? Well, uh, Tyson just transferred. He was one of those seven that transferred out. Mm-hmm. Who probably that would have been the closest thing? Like, could you imagine Bear Bryant's oh, great grandson? Like, that's the only thing that could possibly top Stetson Bennett the fourth is is uh, Tyson Paul Tyson bringing a championship to Alabama. Although they would, they're so spoiled, it probably wouldn't be as big a deal as Stetson Bear, Bennett what he just did. Bear Bryant getting Saban the seventh national title at Alabama to surpass Bear Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. What about the coaching staff? Do you think we see any uh, any shakeup on this coaching staff here in the, yes. the next coming weeks? They're going to have a new offensive coordinator. And Bill I O'Brien is interviewing. Yeah, Bill O'Brien's going to get a job somewhere. So they're going to need to do OC. Somebody's going to hire him? Okay. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't know. But I just I think they might have a new defensive coordinator. I think, I mean, it's Alabama. It's Nick Saban's coaching staff. It's pretty much a revolving door the last few years. And I don't see any reason to think that's not going to be the case again this year. And that's not going to lead to any like questions, or and, and I'm not saying that it should, but your your own view of Alabama is not going to tilt one way or the other based on any hire or coach shuffling. Well, I mean, if Bill O'Brien gets another job somewhere and Nick hires John Donovan to run the offense, then yeah, <laughs> well, maybe my thoughts will change. But no, probably not. Yeah. All right. What about um, Michigan uh, after losing to Georgia? Jim Harbaugh introduced into the the NFL rumor mill. Right now, I guess a report from 24-7 Sports is, quote, more likely than not uh, staying at Michigan is the, the way the headline reads right now, according to that report. I think that Harbaugh it would be the beginning of questions for Michigan. But I if we assume that Jim Harbaugh is going to be there, what are your questions about this team in terms of where they need to improve, places they need to address, or or what's going to lie ahead after what has to be deemed as a breakthrough season uh, for this program? First Big Ten championship since 2004. Oh, the defense. The defense loses a lot. I mean, obviously, Hutchinson's the biggest name. Jabo is a big name. He'll be gone. Daxton Hill will be gone. But, I mean, it's like a lot of guys, even not, not the stars. It's like 
I only think there's going to be like three or four, five at most returning starters on that defense coming back next season. And I don't know if Michigan quite has the kind of depth of talent where we can just assume new guys will step up and carry on and things won't be a big drop off. I think offensively, you know, you lose Haskins. The running game should still be fine. Blake Coram's back. Donovan Edwards is back. I think Eric All is a guy who kind of showed signs of being a kind of a Brock Bowersy type for Michigan mm-hmm. going into next season. Uh, the Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy thing, will they do this? Will they have the same approach next year where McNamara is a starter, but McCarthy gets snaps? Will McCarthy take over? Will one of them be hitting the portal after spring practice when things become more clear? There's a lot of questions about Michigan going in next year. I don't think that you can look at the Wolverines and be like, oh, they're going to win the Big Ten again and get back to the playoff. I think that would be very unlikely. And would you say that, sorry to interject real quick, but would you say that based, like if, even if Ohio State wasn't in the Big Ten, you think that Michigan has its own sort of internal questions where you can't come in and be like, that's going to be the team. Like it's not even an Ohio State thing, it's a Michigan thing. It's, I mean, Ohio State definitely plays a huge role in it. If Ohio State didn't exist, they'd be the favorite of the East. But it's, it's. I just, yeah, I, I, I don't think next year's team is going to be as good as this year's team was. But again, I didn't think this year's team was going to be this good either, so... I think Michigan thought they were physical because they were in the Big Ten, and then they saw what real physicality is. So I think that was kind of a gut check. Like, can you, again, you have to adjust and adapt to like what your goals are. Like, that might be good enough to roll through the Big Ten. But if you want to take down the top dogs, you know, and take down the SEC, you've got to get more physical. But then if you want to try to beat them, I don't like, and that's the thing I'm mad at myself for looking at Michigan thinking, Hey man, those those defensive guys, they're studs, you know, Hutchinson, Ajabo, they can slow down Georgia. They didn't do that. And I didn't think they'd be able to run the football much. They weren't able to move it at all. And I think playmaker on the outside, like receiver, who's their like if when Ohio State beats Bama, they got some playmakers on the field and not just a quarterback, but they have them all over and they have physicality up front. I think in Michigan, like some self-scouting, they look at, okay, we were close and we got past Ohio State, but if we want to win a national championship, man, we kind of have a long way to go physically up front. It's it's kind of that same thing as always. you gotta you got to still be physical in the trenches, offensive and defensive line. And they thought they were, but then they got a, a harsh dose of reality, similar to what happened to Ohio State last year in the national championship game versus Bama. I think I, I do think they were physical, though. Like, that would have worked in the SEC, too. It just didn't work against... Georgia, you know what I mean? Oh, like Georgia's we're debating, not representative of the SEC, right? Yeah. We're debating which, like, like which Georgia defensive lineman will go before another, and how many. Like, that's a good debate. How many Georgia defensive linemen will go in the first round? Like, kind of speaks to the just the craziness of that defense. But I, I think this is a team this year that ceiling wise, uh, they they missed Ronnie Bell, mm-hmm. who was you know hurt early in the year. They didn't really have great explosive threats on the outside. I had them with my. Uh, 20th rated offense this year and number six rated defense. So, you know, like if I think Tom is right, their defense likely will not uh, reach quite the level that it did this year. If they want to stay at the same level, they're going to have to have the offense compensate for that, which they might be able to do. Uh, which of the offensive linemen do they lose? Michigan does not list a depth chart because they're, you know, Michigan. Because it's Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly. Well, yeah, they, they lose quite a few. Geez. I do know they got a huge transfer from Virginia, the uh, center, Ola, Ola Sagun, Ola Watini. He was a Remington finalist. He's transferring in, so that's 
a nice replacement for them on the interior at least. But I, I think it's a skill position. It's like I don't I want to know what Ronnie Bell's doing. Cause he could go pro, but he could also come back. And it'll be interesting to see if he wants to go to the NFL off of an injury season. But I do think that guys like Roman Wilson, I think, showed some flashes this year. I think Andrew Anthony could be the big play threat. He averaged over 20 yards per catch this season. I do think they have talents at the receiver position that could help out. It was just it was so young and inexperienced and losing Ronnie Bell, I think, was a big blow for the offense this year. I've got a lot of faith in our two coordinators. I think that Josh Gaddis and Mike McDonald both did a really good job in getting those two sides of the ball ready. Clearly, they, uh, you know, they were rewarded. I think Gatt- Gaddis win the Broyles, or was he just a finalist? I think he was a finalist. Finalist for the Broyles. Don't you? We'll I don't want to rain on Josh Gaddis's parade, but that offense looked a lot more like Jim Harbaugh was running it than Josh Gaddis was running it. Is that fair? No. Is that, you don't think so? I, I, no, I, mean, see, I, I think mean, I think Harbaugh took back the reins of the offense this year. Maybe I mean Harbaugh's always going to have some say in it, but I, I feel like they're a little more open than they had been originally under Harbaugh. So I don't know. I, I think McDonald will be really interesting to see too, because like this year, the personnel that he had on defense allowed him to do pretty much any damn thing he wanted. Like having oh, a Jabo sure. and Hutchinson coming off the edge and putting that much pressure without you didn't have to blitz allows you to do stuff. And then Daxton Hill is kind of like a Swiss army knife for to allow you to mix up coverages. He can come up and help the run. He can go back in coverage. He can cover receivers. He can cover linebackers. So I, I feel like next year should be really interesting for McDonald's because if he doesn't have those guys, we might – because it's hard to really know what Michigan's defensive identity is because they really are. Like a guy comes in and says, we're going to be multiple. We're going to be aggressive. Michigan really was multiple. It really was aggressive. It did a whole lot of different stuff. And I really don't know what the – if there is a – like an identity yet so maybe next year we'll get the idea of what their foundation and bread and butter is there's also and i don't want to go too long in michigan but there is a bit of a georgia parallel here and like some of us believe that georgia has already made the jump towards like showing their intent to run a more uh open offense but they're not able to actually do it on the field because they don't have the trigger man uh with michigan they did come out chucking it in that first game when, when bell got hurt so who knows what they would have looked like uh, later on, right? Uh, if if he had not been hurt, like they, I think they played to their strengths. W- whether it was Harbaugh uh, asserting more influence or not, I don't, I don't know that I totally agree with Danny on that. But um, I think they played to their personnel pretty much. By the way, a quick check here: two of Michigan's offensive linemen were uh, starters were graduate or GR. Mm-hmm. One was a senior, and the other two were sophomores. So. I don't know if they're going to be able to use their COVID year or their super senior year. Um, yeah. This also, is since Danny's gone, let's push back on everything he said. All right, listen. No, <laughs> but I do right, – so I think that there's a difference between a mentality of physicality and just sheer size and speed. I think that Michigan displayed a mentality of physicality, but there's just a, a size, speed, and talent difference that well, in that Georgia game probably played as much of a role as like – any kind of mentality. But that's the other thing too. Like, who was the team that out physical Georgia? <laughs> Didn't exist. No. Like Alabama did for a quarter in the SEC championship game, but now they played they beat them at the perimeter. 100 mm-hmm. percent Uh all right. And then finally the Cincinnati Bearcats. A, a triumphant season, an undefeated regular season, another American Athletic Conference championship for Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle has another coaching carousel. He's going to stay in place. That is terrific news for the program building aspects of this. 
But boy, this Cincinnati team loses a lot. You know, we talked, uh, Bud mentioned often, uh, and it was very important that the 2020 Cincinnati Bearcats probably better than the 2021 Cincinnati Bearcats. And after losing even more key players, especially on the defensive side, including your leading rusher and likely your quarterback. I mean, the man's a four-year starter. If, mm-hmm. if Desmond Ritter comes back because he's got an he's extra not coming coach, back. Okay. He's uh, he may. I mean, it's not official, but right. I really, really doubt Desmond Ritter's coming back. So where's the list of questions? Uh, my list of questions um, for Cincinnati going into next season is since Luke Fickle has improved the recruiting when compared to other group of five programs during his time there, is that group ready to be able to maintain uh, definitively being at the top of the group of five? Because Cincinnati will be going to the Big 12 soon. They will be having talent in the Big you know, Big 12 as it will be made up in the future. You know, Bud, you can chime in more on the actual recruiting level there and where Cincinnati stands, but I have a sense that there will be a little bit of a step back. Not that Cincinnati cannot win an American Athletic Conference championship. Not that Cincinnati can't appear in the New Year's Six uh, again. But I do think that its uh, overwhelming edge against the rest of its conference uh, probably is going to evaporate when we see Desmond Ritter, Jerome Ford, Kobe Bryant, and Ahmad Gardner uh, walk out, along with Sanders on the defensive line. I mean, it's just so many, yeah. yeah, so many of the key players from the success of the last two seasons are all going to be gone going into next season. Curtis Brooks as well w- 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 was a graduate starter for them uh, at defensive tackle. Malik Van also a senior at D-tackle. No indication if he's going to use his uh, super senior year. Uh, both of the starting line linebackers uh, Beavers and, and DeBlanco were uh, were graduate guys. Uh, obviously Gardner and, and Kobe Bryant are gone. Uh, Javon Hicks is a senior. This was a pretty good example of a team that had a lot of veterans on it who were like good 22, 23 year old players and made a nice run. I think actually that they should probably just coin flipping here, upgrade the offensive coordinator. Like I wasn't really impressed with what they did. Didn't seem like they were, you know, special uh, as far as offensive coaching. So uh, I think there's a chance they actually upgrade there at that spot. We'll see how happy LSU fans are with, with, with that That's hire right, down there. Mike <clears throat> Benbrock left Cincinnati to go be uh, Brian Kelly's offensive coordinator at LSU. Their offensive line should improve. They're all sophomores and juniors. Mm-hmm. So I imagine having everybody back there will will be That's better. That's a nice bonus. Yep. But I think they're probably somewhere between second and fifth in the American next year. Yeah, I, I could see that. I don't know if they'll drop as far as fifth because I do think they've recruited enough that they have. And Evan Prater might be really good as far as quarterback-wise. Like I know they're excited about him. Yeah, it's like I, I feel like this – the last two years are probably the best two years Cincinnati's going to have for at least a few more years. You know what I mean? Like maybe once they get in the Big 12 and they start cycling back up, they'll start. But it's just, it's going to be interesting to me because this is one of those situations where you just see some teams. It's like you got a veteran team, very experienced, very talented, and everything comes together. And then you have to replace it. And Cincinnati is not at the position as good as Luke Fickle and that staff have recruited. They are not at a position where you can just sit there and assume, oh, yeah, they'll be fine. They got guys right behind them. They'll replace them. It'll be good. Now, maybe the drop-off changes these days in the transfer portal era because maybe now Cincinnati is a more attractive landing spot for some of the top-tier transfers that will be in the portal because, like, hey, these guys were just in the freaking playoff. You know, I can go here. I can win. But I I just – 
if you're a Bearcats fan, you enjoyed the hell out of last year. You enjoyed the hell out of this year. You know you're still going to be good next year, but you're not going to be at this level. Like I was going to ask you guys, where do you think when the preseason top 25 comes out, where is Cincinnati ranked? 20s. I don't think they go unranked because you're not going to find enough teams that you're going to feel confident enough to not to put ahead of the respect that you're going to give this group and the success that they've had over the last couple of years. But there's not enough coming back for them to warrant a top 15. So my my prediction would be in the 20s. Yeah, I I, uh, I think they will be ranked by like the media polls. I don't know if I'm going to have them ranked in, in my like personal power ratings, but we'll see. I mean, I'm going to be watching their spring practice pretty closely. By the way, uh, I do want to share this from the coaching convention. A lot more coaches than I realized listen to Cover 3. Mm-hmm. And uh, their favorite episode, I think, because they were all probably pretty bored, right, during COVID, uh, was Coach's Fight Club. Like, who <laughs> would you pick to win in the fight? So I think, Tom, didn't you go fickle? Yeah. Or was it Chip? Pretty sure. I'd, no. I think Ed was the first choice, obviously. I don't know. I think I might have had Fickle. Okay. Well, the coaches agree with you overall. Like they like my Sean Lewis pick. They thought that was like, like like a sneaky good pick. Obviously, the dude's like huge and played tight end for Wisconsin. But they're like Fickle. That dude like at the hotel gym gets after it. He was a, <laughs> like like four time state champion winning wrestler. So yeah, I'm sure they love all our great college ball insight. But the coaches' fight club is the one <laughs> no, that, that just, got brought up the most. They want to know our who we think will win in a fight and they wanted to know which one of them we would draft for our coaching staffs. And it's funny because, you know, Heartline was my number one pick and then he dunked on me on Twitter. (laughs) Thanks for repaying me there, Brian. (laughs) Wait, why did he dunk on you on Twitter? Because I tweet, I said Jackson Smith and Jigba. I said, cause you know, he had, if you can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but he had a high drop rate this year. And I, something on Twitter, I says, man, I says, Jackson Smith and Jigba is amazing. If he just figures out the drops, he is going to be an absolute, you know, superstar. And he just quoted. He says, "Tell me you, tell me you haven't watched the film without watching the film or saying it." I was just like, "I, okay, I've, I've, I've live blogged pretty much damn near every single Ohio State game this year. I have a pretty good idea of what they are, but sure." Oh, okay, okay, okay it coach. Like, it was higher at the time too. Like, like, like if you look at the end, yeah, end of season stuff, better it's like six percent. But when Tom tweeted that, I looked it up and I was like, "Oh, he's right. This is like." by far the highest drop rate on the team at the time. Um, and he has great hands. I mean, they put him on punt return for a reason. I understand. It's just still, maybe maybe, maybe what Brian was trying to tell me was, hey, maybe it was on the QB, those drops. But they were credited to Jackson, so I can only go off those numbers. That's uh, that's, that's much love to Brian Hartline, the, uh, the National Recruiter of the Year, according to 24-7 Sports in 2020. But Also, congrats on your recent promotion. That's that's big. That that's big. The media is the enemy vibes right there. Just <laughs> take it. Tell, tell a family member to jump on uh, in, Insta or Snapchat and just start getting getting everybody rallied behind your cause. Um, Did we already talk about uh, how Ohio State just hired the uh, DB coach for Cincy? We can hit. All right, so I think this any other. We'll, we'll use that as a, a pivot point here because I do want before we get out of here. I want to make sure that. A lot has been going on, and so I want to open the table up for you know five, ten minutes. Make sure that anything that's popped up to you from a, a newsy perspective, whether it's player or coach movement, something that seems significant that you're keeping your eye on uh, as we go into the next you know four or five, six days. 
mean, so quarterback like, movement. Um, so Cam Ward uh, goes ahead and picks uh, Washington State. That's your incarnate mm-hmm. word, kid. Uh, Jaden Delora, uh, who Arizona has had a lot of issues, but Arizona obviously, uh, I think, probably worth the risk for for them. I, I would I would think. Um, who else? So we're still we're still waiting on 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 Caleb, obviously, and that'll set off some interesting dominoes elsewhere potentially. Jackson Dart jumped in the portal. Uh, I think that's probably. You think he's like, going to West Virginia and following Harold? Uh, I, I know no. that's what Coca wants. Yeah, I, I would say West Virginia. Graham Harold to West Virginia. Graham Harold to West Virginia. <laughs> it was a good hire. It was look that that is a, a good hire by Neil Brown after a, a poor offensive season. You know, it, it's it's like uh, when, yeah. you, when you grab your phone or you grab your wife's phone and you speak into the speaker a lot about what you want for Christmas. It's like new sim driver, new sim driver. New sim driver. <laughs> <laughs> um, it influenced the Instagram ads to get him pop up. Yeah. Um, who else, as far as quarterbacks going around, do we need to discuss like in the last couple of days? Well, for DTR uh, comes back to, UC, to UCLA. Which I mean that like Caleb Williams was talking was like visiting UCLA this weekend. If it's like the day after DTR Nazis coming back, I'm like we could probably scratch them off the list. Then I think he's in LA for other reasons. January 28th is the uh, drop ad deadline at USC. I okay. still would have my money on USC yeah. being the uh, the landing spot for Caleb Williams, but January 28th they started classes on the 10th. Last day to add classes uh, is the 28th. So there's your deadline right there. If, hey, may, maybe he just takes all semester off, all right? Maybe, maybe maybe he's not even in classes. Maybe he's not even in spring practice. But I would imagine that Caleb Williams wants to be in spring practice, wants to be in the spring semester or you know trimester, whatever is going on at his eventual destination. So keep your eye on that in terms of uh, a little bit of a deadline for that announcement. Uh, Jackson Dart, by the way, uh, Ole Miss, maybe Notre Dame, TCU, uh, maybe BYU. Like th- those are those are good destinations, I think, for him. Any other? Are you mentioned the um, the Ohio State's just loading up the staff right now? Yeah, they are revamping their entire defensive staff. It's clear they understand what needs to be fixed. Yes. But Do you like, think it will be fixed? Oh, I think that there's too much talent on that defense to not get fixed. Just I think they can go from 17th to top 10. Yeah. I'm not convinced it's going to be like a top 5 defense, but yeah. I think they can they could get into the top 10 and the offense should still be number 1. Mm-hmm. And that probably gets them back to the playoff. Yeah. Was it the $350 million bench at Man City. Is that what it is, Tom? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have like Wait, the what? three you're going to have like the $150 million sideline at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Just just going we're just going to go pull the best defensive coordinator in the country, Jim Knowles. Come on, like we're going to Cincinnati. We're Larry Johnson, no, you're not retiring. No, we need you to stick around a little bit more. Here's more money, here's more responsibility. It's, it is uh, go for it time at Ohio State. They've got CJ Stroud. They've got talent through the roof. Um, we th- this kind of 2022 questions like 
it will happen a little bit more organically. We are going to be talking about Ohio State. We're going to be talking about Notre Dame. We're going to be talking about uh, these other teams uh, as we continue to move ahead. I mean, it, it's going to be the background of all of our conversations about these programs as we prepare for the spring and uh, continue to look ahead to 2022. But uh, I, I agree. There's a, there's a big gear up and go for it vibe around the Buckeyes right now. Mm-hmm. Well, just like we would have we would have criticized Georgia for failing to cash in that defense. Yes. In in a national title, if Ohio State is continuing to lose games it shouldn't lose, like losing to that Oregon team because you you literally your defense is just terribly coached, we're going to have to criticize that because this is a ridiculous amount of offensive talent on this team. And you have Travion and you have Jack, you have you know Jackson and Harrison Jr. and all these dudes and CJ if they don't cash this in, at least get back to the playoff and make a serious run at it. Uh, like if I'm an Ohio State fan and I don't make it to the final next year, I'm disappointed. To the to the there's one there's final. one team that that yes correct. Like I if I'm Ohio State, I think it's unreasonable to think hey we have to beat Alabama. But if you don't cash in this level of offense to one of the final two, I think I'm disappointed. I know that's crazy high expectations, but you have that level of talent on this year's team. Hmm. Lincoln Riley leading USC in the national championship game in Los Angeles next season. It's going to be awesome, boys. I will just say to Bud's point about Ohio State getting to the title game, they got to get past Illinois in the Big Ten championship first. That's, that is true. Uh, I did play a title team, by the way, a, a, a title future. Um, I don't know how much this is going to move or how fast it'll move, but I played A&M at 40 to 1. Ooh. Ooh. That's a big number. Jimbo's done this before. In Tallahassee, we all thought 2014 would be the team, like the year that everything would arrive, and then it got there a year early. Now he's going to have to like stop trying to be so West Coasty and actually like be okay with calling shot plays as opposed to just trying to, you know, the way they try to explosive plays now, which just doesn't mm-hmm. work. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. if he gives in a little bit, that number is uh, is favorable. Like I wouldn't play him 20 to one, but 40, I think you have to take a piece because there's yeah. a path for them to be non-West champion fourth team. You had uh, you had Georgia at like 10 or 11. Cash yeah, that one. 10 and 9, yeah. Well, congratulations on that. You called that one a long time ago. Yeah, nope. that was good. Nice, nice to be able to, uh, to get in on that. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We hope you enjoy your holiday weekend. We will be back with uh, a show on Wednesday. And then the next time we will be live on youtube.com slash cover three will be next Thursday. Uh, So make sure that you are subscribed to the audio platform wherever you get it. And make sure that you are subscribed on YouTube. Smash the bell for notifications so you know anytime there's a new video and anytime that we go live, you will get an alert. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.